So how is everybody? How is everybody's year? Oh, this is exactly what I hoped for. In 2019, when I said, oh my God, what could I have happen in 2020? This was it, friends. I nailed it. And you just couldn't wait for Lockhart to ask you, how was your year? Yeah. yeah. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How was the play? Yeah. This is what I was hoping for. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm Chris Lockhart. This is Consultant Saying Things. Welcome to a special episode of Consultants Saying Things. I am Chris Lockhart. Um, I am joined today by the full cast of characters. I have Carol Hamilton, Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shramali, and Bill Bensing. Um, Bill's working on his video. There he is. And um, yeah, uh, this is our special holiday edition. So um, got some questions from LinkedIn, a few surprises, um, some special guests, the first of which has already joined us, Brent Stokes. Good to see you. I love the ugly Christmas sweater. You said uh, there's a Zoom bomb with an ugly Christmas sweater. There might be drinking involved. So I thought, why not? Well, and I think we should start that off nicely. So here's to 2020 being <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah. Here's and, to uh, it. And uh, have a happy holidays to everybody. Right back on you. Mm. Nostravia. So, Brett, was that actually just sitting in your closet or is this part of a, an awards program at work or what? what how did that come into there's, play? There's a hilarious story behind it that I'm not proud of, but <laughs> it involves Instagram at 2 a.m. and targeted ads. They ah. definitely know how to how to get me. Yes. But no, I'm actually at the beach, so it wasn't in my closet. I, I packed it with knowledge that this was happening. That's right. So you're still in Amelia Island. Is that where you're you're at? Yeah, we are. We're down at Amelia Island and getting some R and R in. You've been there a week. Are you coming back? What the heck? Well, we'll see. That's <laughs> kind of nice down here. <laughs> well, you're you're actually closer to Bill. Bill's down in in uh, Tampa area. So nice. I mean, you're both in Florida, right? So honestly, a lot colder than I thought it would be down here. But it's been very That's nice to get away. You're probably on the wrong. Sweater. You're on the wrong <laughs> side of Florida. I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's warmer. <laughs> We're all on the wrong side of Florida, yeah. really. Is there a right side? It's just kind of. Yeah. There's a it's very not, right side. It's been, side been of wrong Florida. for a long time. It's an extreme right side of Florida. Oh, I know Bill couldn't join us, but Brent joined us for um, an episode that has yet to actually go live. But this was the one we recorded a week or so ago about um, uh, working with a recruiter and you know helping folks maybe find a job or something in in this time and you know I, I think it's gonna be real timely, Brent, because I think you know um, things seem to have gotten worse if that was possible, right? In the in the weeks since we recorded it, so um, hopefully we'll get that up and hopefully some some folks can make good use of it. But um, appreciated you having me on and um, enjoyed the conversation. It was really oh, it was good. Great, excellent. All right, well, so we've got we've got some uh, questions from the LinkedIn crowd. Um, what? I'm actually, yeah, I know. Imagine that. So I've got it up over here. What does this job pay was the first question. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is the question? <laughs> <laughs> we 
<laughs> Do you guys take requests? <laughs> I'll take I'll take useless podcasts for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> oh, too soon. No, yeah, yeah, too soon. Uh, okay, so you know our old friend Oliver Cronk, he um, he wanted to know what our predictions were in for consulting for the business consult like uh, consulting business business consulting business um, and like big four consulting firms. So like, you know, rapid change, et cetera, transformation, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think some of the, the, the predictions would be? Brent, you want to go first? I think you got to drop yeah. here in a bit. So I want to get you in. I do. Um, I think that it'll look a lot different based on the type of industry you're in for one, but I think the size and scale of your company is also going to make a big big impact. I do think there's a space for boutique consulting going forward. Um, but I think that big four is going to continue to grow. I don't see that going away. And I see a lot of large scale transformation happening with larger clients and they're going to continue to need big four consultants to come in and help navigate those changes. So I don't, I don't see them going away. I do see them probably even growing and maybe acquiring smaller consulting firms, more boutique firms, but um, you guys are in the space. So I'm sure you have probably different experiences and different perspectives. Oh, on I that. mean, you recruit for these people, right? So I think you you got a pretty astute awareness going on there. I, I second your idea about like uh, more M&A activity in the consulting space. Shashi, you're in the M&A area. Yeah. What's, what's your thought on predictions for consulting business? So I think this is not just about this year. I would say in the last five years or so, this trend has been going on where um, all the there are three tiers. Typically, they say. I mean, I don't believe in tiers, but that's what they say. One, you have a McKinsey. I don't believe in tiers either. Yeah, always smiling, always smiling. McKinsey, uh, BCG, and Bain, and the second tier is your big four firms, what we call, and then there are boutique firms and others around it. So there are always have been last since last three to five years there have been a trend of strategy firm. Uh, trying to build hold the execution arm of it, where BCG has their own. Now they hire architects. BCG hires architects. McKinsey hires implementation managers, implementation architects. So they are coming down the value chain. And then whereas uh, in last about four or five years ago, EY, PwC, all of these companies bought boutique strategy consulting firm, as what you were saying, Brent. They had done it like four or five years ago. Um, we were part of one of those. I'm part of another one right now. Um, so, so they were going up the chain. So the idea is clients are looking for strategy through execution capabilities, not just give me an ivory tower stuff and walk out of the door. That's not going to work anymore. So we'll continue to see all the consulting firms building those deeper roots in the execution. They will value a lot more execution capability than just strategy part. Yeah. I do have to bounce, guys, but I appreciate you letting me Zoom bomb your holiday recording Brent, activities. Can I ask good a question you. before you go? And what does a, what does this particular cameo cost us? You know, when we, uh, if you want Brent Stokes to show up on a call, what's that? I'll, I'll send the bill to you later, Phil. Okay. All right. All right. It's at least a couple, a uh, couple cigars. Yeah, <laughs> there we excellent. go. I knew As it was expected. Like that. Thanks Brent. Merry Christmas. Buddy. You see you, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. I don't know. What do you, what do you think Bill Benson? I mean, we haven't talked to you in a while. We haven't sort of heard your predictions in a, in a bit. What What do you think for the consulting business? I know I know you've gone. I know you've gone to industry. I know you're like Mister Conservative Fortune 500 now, and you know. So uh, he's he's literally red hat. 
He's literally red hat. Yeah. I am. I'm literally red hat. Oh, wow. Let's see. Um, I still think the top four will continue to suck and waste a lot of customers' money. <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, uh, so I mean, uh, not gonna, that, nothing, not gonna... there will, nothing, nothing there will change. Uh, as far as going forward, the interesting change in the U.S. politics too, um, Medicare, Medicaid spending. So I'd be interested to see what's going to happen with a lot of policy changes in the U.S. and how that drives ramifications of the technology investments in the, in the healthcare space. Um, what type of secondary and tertiary market to be a spe- uh, would be um, would be affected there when it comes to consulting? Um, I think you'll probably see a big boom in that area uh, because the investment dollars coming from the U.S. government. Uh, what do you think about that. what do you think about boutique firms? You think we're, they're going to survive, or like it's going to be snatched oh. up or driven driven out of business? Boutique firms will always survive because those are the folks who are on the edge. They're doing the stuff that the big four can't do, and the big four won't do because of their innovators' dilemma, right? So at the end of the day, they're incentivized by quarter to quarter profit. Where these boutique firms are looking to live for a longer time and actually find true value to bring into clients. Innovators. Um, my, was that that was a book, right? Should we write that down? Yeah, that was a book. Yes, yeah. sustaining versus disruptive innovation, right? Uh, trying to find sustaining innovation, finding for like people you already serve, but like higher parts of that market versus disruptive innovation, finding people who aren't in the market and bringing bringing them into the market. Um, so I think you'll see M and A as always. Uh, will things actually change in the big four in the consulting industry? No. Um, interesting, Shash, you talk about going down the value, uh, further down the value chain. I think we're starting to get into a time in tech where, and Brent was just on here, so it's timely, uh, where it's more about execution um, and strategy. Uh, I, I don't think, I think just in general, the tech industry is lacking competent executors. Um, I, I, I compare the guy who designs the car versus the mechanic. I think the tech industry has tons of mechanics, uh, but not a lot of people actually design the car and companies mm-hmm. are looking for people who can design the car, not just work on it. Oh, okay. uh, so, and so the I, need for an architecture skills. Uh, architect. Well, I think architecture is something you do is not what you are, right? So as I started oh, yeah. coming and looking back at this, it started to think like project and program management, right? Instead of being a person, um, it's just a skill set you have at the end of the day. And I think it's you're probably gonna have to see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, companies, a lot of big four coming to that uh, to that realization. But I also think budgets too, as big four goes down further into the market, they go to mid uh, lower level markets. They're gonna have to figure out how to optimize and how to uh, be more efficient in their delivery capability. So, uh, so there, there you go. That's our finale statement. Let's close it now. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, there you go. So that's that, that's what I think. I mean, as I look at it, what do you think? Absolutely, substantive change. No, will boutique firms absolutely be there always? They'll always be yeah. there, finding a different area of it. Um, you know, where what buzzword will come out this year of the next eighteen months that every uh, top four will resell their existing clients on for something new to waste their money? Sure. I don't know. Um, yeah. but we'll, but it will, I, I, not to be pessimistic about it, but well, no, it's not, it's not pessimistic. I just love how cynical you've become and jaded, but 2020 really did a number on you. I love it. I mean, it has less to do with COVID, the more getting back in industry and the consulting yes, side. Let's put it ang- that way. <laughs> leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Oh, <laughs> uh, Carol, Phil, what are your thoughts? Well, it's hard to top that. That's for sure. I did like his statement about there's going to be more people designing the car. And that's what I'm seeing, especially in the learning space. I just got done with this month. They had a surprise seminar this week uh, that went on for three days talking about what's coming in the learning space. And that's exactly what they're talking about is anybody that wants to come in and keep doing what was is is no longer as relevant. And that doesn't mean that it's not important, but it just isn't. That's not where the money's going. The money's going into who can figure out what 
what the future is and lead it in some meaningful way. And that's what the executives are looking at too. How do they become relevant? Uh, we were also given the news, at least out of two clients that I have that said they're, they're doing absolutely nothing live for sure for the first six months of 2021. Yeah. Very likely more, but at least this, the first six months are, are here we are. And so again, continuing to get good at this and understand how to lead the virtual space is everything. Bill, you work with cats every day looking for stuff. Oh, wait, wait, Love we got that. a book. We got a book. What are, yeah. It's Sengi, right? The Fifth Discipline. Yeah. So I, I loved Bruce that. Willis and that. It was awesome. But as you say that, I, I picked that, I picked up, I picked up, I read this a while back, so I picked another hard copy of it, but I think that he just talks about learning organization and systems thinking. Yeah. Um, I think in 2021, and when people understand this and get this right, they'll do well. And yeah. when yeah. they don't, um, they they'll continue to not do. I would not say they won't continue to do well. I mean, at the end of the day, inertia is a big thing, but uh, um, they won't grow. Let's put it that way. Well, and one of the speakers at this seminar was from Stanford and Stanford's putting huge, huge uh, money and, and movement into this whole piece with Peter Senge. And say, this isn't new. Senge wrote the book, what, in the 60s, I think? Yeah. So, but it's the principles remain, right? They, they continue to come forward. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that the Peter principle, Carol? What what principle is that? No, it's the principles of systems thinking. Thank you. Um, <laughs> systems thinking. Well, you didn't get a chance to give us your oh. consulting. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I you know I think we I think we've covered the big pieces of that. I think um, you know part of this is we haven't really figured. I mean, what is our response going to be? And of course, I start off by saying you know I'm terrible at predicting the future. What are the things we see in the water right now that we can kind of think? Well, what might the next step of that be? Uh, you know, I uh, obviously we've seen a lot of folks just sort of being as you know kind of say cynical, right? I mean, folks are not optimistic about the future. You know, kind of kind of that reflecting back some of that stuff of what Bill was talking about. I don't think there are, is a lot of optimism. On the other hand, you know, remember when, like on those very few times, given our aging condition, when you've had a really, really good night's sleep and you wake up and you go, oh my God, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like I could do anything. At some point, there'll be enough vaccines, there'll be enough stuff going on that someone's going to feel, I think this thing is lifted and it's springtime again in America, just mm -hmm. to throw that little uh, thing in there for Chris. But uh, it'll be springtime again in America, but I mean, or in the world, but I, I think at some point there'll be that opening. I don't know when that is. And, you know, it's kind of like what Carol said, the same things I'm hearing from folks, right? You know, they're, you know, big companies are telling their folks, well, you are going to be remote until June of next year. That's what I've heard as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of the thing is, it's this is not quick. Now, having said all of that, you know, they just this morning, right? Was it not this morning? They're saying, look, we've, there's another strain of this virus and we don't know what the effect of that is going to be exactly. So, uh, you know, we might be wrong about all of that. And this might take yeah. another couple of years and not another nine months. So well, I don't know. I think there I think there was some maybe not predictions. I think there were some like, you know, scientists saying this is how this will work going forward is in the same way that the flu mutates and, you know, transmits around the globe every year. Um, this will likely become one of those things that you go every year, not just to get your flu shot, but to get your COVID 2025 shot kind of thing. Um, right. And, you know, I guess the question would be, you know, for another time and for much smarter people, right? Like how many more of those kinds of like, forever diseases 
will we have? I mean, you know, everyone as a child is vaccinated for what? Measles, mumps, rubella, et cetera, yeah. polio. We don't polio. do that anymore because it's gone. But like, I think there are some great examples of where we've conquered some of these things, at least, you know, by and large in the Western world. And does this become one of those or does this become like influenza that's just like perennial forever kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know either, but I think the thing is we have to act in the moment, right? Yeah, I agree. And so we have to, we, this is what we've got to work with right now. What can we do right now? And for that, I think this is very interesting. It's been super disruptive, but there are lots of opportunities. And, you know, and I, the thing is, I, I'm going to guess you guys have seen this as well. But just this morning, I was in a conversation with another consultant and he was, and we were talking about how we've seen some organizations like have adapted and like they've grown and done really well in this space. They figured out how to serve their customers and meet them where they are. And there are others that have just, they've just like locked up. They don't know how to do this. And they are, you know, it's been an existential threat for them. And it's not just because of the environmental impact. That's certainly a piece of this, right? Certainly the big thing, but they, uh, they just couldn't see themselves making a pivot. Change was hard for them. They decided not to do with it, deal with it. They're talking about strategy, right? And I bet re went back and re uh, rereading the book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, to realize actually how much bad strategies out there. Um, so, but I think that if you think about this next coming year in the tech side, containerization, well, it's been a thing for the you know while, but it'll become a bigger thing in industry, especially on the consulting side of the delivery, as people try to figure out how to deliver containerized software um, as a solution. And the reason I say that is because we're containers and the whole aspect of being hand that's going and what it's doing to uh, allowing anybody to get into the software space is now you're not writing proprietary software that has to run on some type of proprietary infrastructure or something that's very specific like Windows or something like that. Um, you can write it and run it anywhere. So I think you're going to see a huge opportunity consulting space across the globe with so many people like, you know, not say for SAP, but big uh, uh, companies like that who traditionally build their software on a specific tech stack and people looking to go containerize, I think there's going to be a huge area for that in the consulting realm to take that, refactor it into a container runtime uh, because of the capability of scaling and then also bringing new features in and out. So I think- But to do what? To do what, Bill? Because yeah. I mean, that tech has been around for quite a while, right? So- mm, Linux containers, yeah, but container orchestration and the so the benefit, like the new rule changers. Uh, so Kubernetes containers really- Reason containers are good because of Kubernetes. Kubernetes came from something called Borg, right? I, I promised Google. myself every time you said Kubernetes, I would take a drink. So gotcha. There here, you go. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, oh and thank God the guest just got here. We have, we have here. <laughs> well, we have we have a guest joining us. It's Oliver. Oh, here comes the Calvary. Thank you, Oliver. It's Oliver Cronk, and he's joining us live from uh, Reading in. Uh, UK, right? Worcestershire, Warwickshire. Uh, uh, no, in um, Berkshire. Berkshire, is, yeah. West of London, right? Yeah. Worcestershire. Yeah, which, is the, which is the really annoying right now, part of uh, west of London that sticks out just a little bit like this. Yeah. And uh, it's the it's it's the annoying bit that's also in tier four along with London and the rest of the southeast. Oh. So right. with this really annoying kind of extension. Uh, so yeah, and it means I can't see my family at, uh, over Christmas. So, uh, so there you go. Well, uh, Sometimes that, you know, that may be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> and I, I noticed you have the R2-D2 droid, which I know that Bill also has. And, I, and my daughter also has. Got, so you could, you could have your R2s talk to each other. Is this, is this uh, have, you, have you got the, the Lego one? No, mine's oh, not the, the Lego, Lego one. one. 
This this is a robot, actually. It's actually a proper uh, well, obviously it's a robot, but it's it's the one that's it's actually droid, programmable. Droid Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this one's actually got a boost. So if I hit this button here, it starts to flash and uh mm. it's actually it actually drives around and can navigate around the room and all that sort of jazz. So it's 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 all So you do have company for Christmas then. Well, yeah, I, I have my family and this is really the kids, but I kind of I kind of uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes uh, yeah. a nice backdrop. I've seen yeah, your yeah. Instagram posts. I know who really owns the Lego in that family. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Um, it's no, great no, no worries. Great to be here. Um, I think, you know, we were just, um, I don't know what we were talking. I, I've been, I may or may not have been drinking. Predictions for 2021. Been. Yeah, I yeah. know that, that that's, that's right. I mean, predictions, I think particularly for professional services in 2021, uh, when I think, you know, if I look at this year, there's been clearly an impact on on revenues um, for large firms, and kind of I, I, and Chris, we've spoken about the fact that will customers, will clients want consultants to come back on site again? You know, or, or yeah. on a regular basis, will, will will it be a new kind of adaptive model? Right. So yeah, I'd be really interested on your thoughts on what consulting and professional services looks like in 2021, and, and will it be the catalyst, the final kind of catalyst to actually properly embrace the stuff that they advise their customers on rather than well you know i I would as you as everyone well knows i would talk about this forever and consume all the oxygen in the room so i'd be curious on what shashi thinks because we haven't i don't think we've heard from him in a while on sort of what he thinks in terms of well the question you just asked well i think uh i said like one is the client would take this as an opportunity to save a lot on the tne expenses Mm -hmm. chris I know how much you burn on <laughs> TNA expenses. So we need to. Thanks for watching this, Shashi. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, want out. To, you want to cut it out, I know. Uh, but but TNA expenses, uh, you know, will be controlled going forward because um, they can do the same amount of work with the same quality of work, or a little, even if it's a little bit less, they probably are going to save at least 20% on easy 20% on what they have been spending on TNA expenses. So that definitely will change. Wait, you, um, you hold on, time out. You think you think fees are going to drop, or are you just going? Oh no, the TNA expenses, not the fees, not okay. not the fees. That's first part. Uh, because I think, I think fees may go down also. To be perfectly yes, honest, with you. exactly. I was coming to the. That was a second point. So you would see that on the twenty percent, um, you know, the TNA expense they can save, which is direct pass through, uh, almost all the time. And the second savings is definitely the fees would probably come down but again that would also depend on the nature of the nature of the work that is required um, so i am not 100% sure if fees will completely come down it might a little bit but not a whole lot um, third thing is um, you know the big four firms needs to continue to strengthen their execution capability which they are doing over the last few years and they will continue to do so uh, and then there is definitely a space for the boutique consulting firms. What might happen is the local boutique consulting firm might get benefit from that because there won't be travel or anything involved. They can hop on for a you know socially distant meeting in person at the client site if client is uh, you know is adamant on somebody being there on site. Some of them are. Then probably some of those local clients or local uh, consulting firms as well as if any big four firms have local offices in those areas, so they might benefit from such um, restrictions. What are you drinking, Oliver? It looks like some sort of English beer. You know what? It is. In true kind of lockdown fashion, this beer is made literally in the next village from me. In fact, 
the kids and I and the wife cycled past it uh, yesterday on a bike ride. So yeah, it's, it's literally stones throw away and it's a session beer. Uh, so it's only 3.4%. It's quite, it's quite a good kind of working beer, if you like. If you want to have a work in the afternoon, then uh, then you can have one of these and you can still function, uh, you know, after lunch, yeah. as it were. I hadn't thought of like morning beer versus evening beer. I wanted to add in though, Shashi, with, I, I know that the consultants that I know at all these large companies are dying to get back into their clients. They want that, that face-to-face. That's where they feel like they have the most impact and influence. But I actually think, especially in the European uh, theater, they are very concerned about safety and it's, this is going to be a money thing. No doubt they're saving a ton of money, not putting everybody on planes and flying them about, but it's also going to save them a lot of hassle around the whole safety issue. Are are you contagious? Are you about to infect yeah. my entire crow? I think that's going to play a huge role in who wins as to how well you can. I don't, I don't think you're coming back anytime soon because yeah. of that. At least for next six to six, minimum to six months. Yep. Minimum six months. And we will see how the vaccine. Exactly. And how the other strains go and what kind of temperatures impact it. And to Chris's point earlier, I don't think you're sitting here going, okay, this is the one disease. I mean, you know, this is this is just the plight of humanity and our own susceptibility and our climate and all the things and the you know the diet. I mean, there's so many factors in this. There's always going to be something showing up. I think I think we're entering into like um like a new class system, right? You can already see, right? You can't travel unless you can prove you unless you have your papers. Yeah. Fair as the papers, right? That sort of thing. And it's (laughs) like, you know, uh, wow, that was quick. No, but I mean, seriously, you're not going to go back. You know, I think um, the Equal Opportunity Employment Board, whatever that some federal thing that we have mm-hmm. here, right, just ruled that employers can refuse you entry back into your previous job um, without proof of a vaccination. Um, I mean, it becomes a condition of employment. It becomes a condition of the ability to travel. It becomes a condition of can I go eat at a restaurant? Can I leave the state? Right. These sorts of things. And oh. there will be people that don't get the vaccine for whatever reason. And, you know, and they, they will be sort of another underling class probably of people that aren't able to participate in the society. But I think we'll, we'll, we'll get a license, right? In the license, they will have something which says that, you know, vaccinated punched hole. Okay. Yeah, but that's a static state. I don't think it's going to be static. Go ahead, Oliver. What were you saying? I was going to say, I think we already have it. Uh, at least what I'm seeing is we almost have this kind of serviced economy where, there are some people in, uh, you know, in service sort of industries, you know, kind of uh, in in um, white collar roles, who ultimately don't need to go and you know risk their health by going to work, and they have other people, kind of delivery drivers, you know, other people kind of delivering sort of products yep. and services to them, who are almost kind of having to put themselves in risk at risk to kind of do their job. So I think we already have this class system in effect where there are some people who are able to kind of you know be protected more than others. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I think the whole vaccination status, you're right, Chris, is it's quite scary in terms of, is it going to start justifying more surveillance kind of from, right. from governments and um, you know, the app that's been rolled out here. I'm sure you guys have got something similar that kind of, you know, monitors where you go and check, checks where you go and all that sort of stuff. Same Bandakwala from Toronto, probably, right? Are you in Ooh, Toronto, Hussein? I am. Because oh, I thought you guys... Well, I thought you were going to be in Pakistan, and I was like, "This was going to be like a truly global moment here." But well, I I, I am in Pakistan right now. Oh, okay. Well, there I we am go. In Pakistan. Yes. Fantastic. So I, that's right. I'm visiting Pakistan for a few weeks. 
during the holidays. So here I am and there Amazing. you go. I just fulfilled your, your Christmas wish right there, Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is truly global Great. broadcast. Right? Was it difficult yeah. to get into Pakistan? Do we, was it hard to get through the borders and the quarantines and all this? Or No, no. No, there aren't. It's going to be tougher for me to go back to Canada with the quarantines. Ah, okay. But it wasn't well, too so bad getting into Pakistan. So for those who don't know, Hussein joined us. So first of all, um, Hussein joined us for an episode on project management. I think, was that last year, Hussein? I forget when it was exactly. I think so. I think it was think last, last year. year. And yeah. I know you do. You're, I've been seeing all of your uh, LinkedIn learning stuff going on around PMO and all that sort of stuff. Very cool. Very awesome. Um, Thank you, you. Hussein, you may recognize, you probably recognize the crew here, but you may not know Oliver Kronk. Oliver um, joined us for a conversation a bit ago. (laughs) 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 Was it this year? It was this year, right? It was was this year. I I, I would say it was sort of time, but I might, maybe earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It was this year. And um, (laughs) what did we talk about? We talked about endpoint security. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Oliver is the chief architect for Tanium. So they do like endpoint, uh, like, you know, controls and, and uh, mobile device management and stuff like that. Right. So, um, yeah. Saying just, Chris is drinking just in case just you didn't know this. So I just I, I, know. I noticed that. I noticed there was some liquid <laughs> in it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in fact, he's, he's, he's added to our product portfolio. We don't do MDM, but, th- but thanks for saying we do. You're welcome. Well, maybe <laughs> See, Bill, bills in the mail for that, right? I'm going <laughs> to. Maybe you know an acquisition that I don't yet. Yeah, that's yeah. advisory right there. Oliver. <laughs> that's what that is. Um, yeah, no, you know, and Oliver's in London, um, so we've got like a true, true global community here. So this is fantastic. We're saying we were just talking about like some of the predictions for the consulting business in the coming year, and you know what's going to happen to the big four, and you know M and A activity, and some other things. Um, I'd be curious about your perspective on that, but I think also um, you know, there's some other questions here that were sent in on LinkedIn. Um, I think you know, related, it's on the other side. How will companies be handling sort of the consulting needs right going forward? And do we see those needs more in like staff org? Do we see those needs in PMO? Do we see those needs in strategy, advisory, and delivery assurance? Where do we see those needs? So. Any of those topics, pick and go. I'd be curious on your perspective. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Firstly, you, th- you know, great to see everyone again. Thank you for having me on again. And sorry, I don't have any, you know, merry sweaters or any sort of holiday outfit. But here I am with some cheer and spirit. So the pandemic has actually... Uh, going to open up uh, quite a few avenues for consultants, in my opinion. Uh, I think in all those fronts that, that Chris, you mentioned, but I think the number one thing uh, is that, you know, a lot of the business travel work is probably going to go away because people are, have started, are probably going to realize that a lot of the work can be done remotely. You know, people don't need to be on site. Uh, people can be anywhere in the globe. And things can happen. Uh, you know, for me personally, you know, my practice has always been remote, even before the pandemic. So, you know, uh, this sort of sort of is a is a, uh, a reminder to everyone that hey, you know, things can go well. People don't have to be on site. You don't have to pay a lot for business travel to make things happen. So that's that's number one. I think, and other other than that, I think organizations will start to also realize that there are a lot of people who. Uh, you know, who were consultants 
and have gone, you know, independent uh, or, you know, who were sort of experts and have gone independent and, and their values, their, their skills are valuable. Uh, and therefore, they should also be looked at versus just looking at the big fours and, you know, everyone else just to see if they can provide a, any sort of, uh, you know, either a value gap or a stopper gap or any sort of bridge gap in between. Um, so I think organizations are going to be more and more open, at least to have a conversation. Yes, I understand that there will be a lot of hiring um, managers and people in leadership who will continuously to sort of be a bit more risk averse because nobody got fired by hiring an IBM or a Deloitte or an E&Y. You sure about McKinsey. that? You sure about that? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. But I think I think at least people will be open to having conversations, to entertaining conversations with independent consultants like myself and uh, and seeing whether, you know, they can go ahead and, and, and you know, at, go hand in hand or even ahead in terms of what they can do or perhaps even come in as a, you know, sort of a, another sub partner, if you will. And, and uh, so I, I think that... Uh, the world for consultants is actually going to become much more interesting. And because of the fact that every, any, the consultants can be anywhere, it, it really wouldn't matter whether, you know, we're talking to people in, in, in Europe or in North America or in Australia or in Asia, anywhere, right? So I think that's going to drive more um, competition. Thank you for providing evidence to my big four fallacy, right? Nobody ever got fired for hiring a big four. So <laughs> you, work, you, work for, you work for one of them now, don't you? So you're, you're going to say that. You no one ever got fired for bringing in Red Hat. Is that what you were going to say? Oh, I, that's, not, that's not a big four. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not a big four. Wait, 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 wait. He's very conveniently carving out himself out. <laughs> I'm not IBM. I'm uh, Red Hat. Tell you, yes, exactly. I didn't say Come that. On. It's just a big four policy, uh, right? It's the, same, it's, the, it's the same thing. I think one thing I, which I forgot to mention when I was talking about this was, you know, if people can provide consulting support, within the US from some other state. I think a lot many hiring would happen in other uh, countries. People would be looking at the talent and now it will not matter whether people will, I mean, earlier clients were very rigid and okay, I need at least 50% of my workforce to be here on the ground and doing that stuff. Now for entire one year, they have been working remotely, right? So if they can do it from somewhere in the U, uh, US, why can't they do it somewhere from some other part of the world? So I think talent will have not have any boundaries. I think they will be open to hiring people from any part of the world uh, because they have learned how to make it work and they have seen that it works. Um, I think we have a guest joining, entering our, our Christmas spirit. spirit. There he is. It's Jim Sevier. Hey, guys. So practically a party. Interrupt you, Hussain, but um, I, I did want to introduce Jim Sevier, who joined us for an episode around CRM, I think it was, Jim. And yeah, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? It was, it was a long time ago. Two years. Two years ago. Uh, we were just talking with Hussein. Uh, Hussein joined us for a PMO episode. We have Oliver, who joined us for an episode around endpoint security. Uh, you missed uh, Brent Stokes, who joined us a little bit earlier. And we had a conversation with him that hasn't aired yet about recruiting and um, you know working with a recruiter and helping yourself find a job in these times. So uh, you know we, we've got sort of a, a merry um, crew. or I, I, I Maybe I'm the merriest. I don't know. Um, so but, here you go. Oh. Here's my... Oh, oh yeah! Right. Christmas party. Very nice. Die Hard is a Christmas yeah, movie. Like that. Yeah. It is a Christmas yeah. movie. I am Speaking actually, of uninvited guests, 
<laughs> yeah, really. I am wearing my wife's uh, Los Angeles Dodgers hat, which I can't really wear because I'm California Angels fan, but it, it is blue and it fits my noggin. So. Well, it was it was blue and white, so I thought maybe it was like a Hanukkah, um, like Santa hat or something. We're all inclusive. We're all inclusive. Well, I, I, I can jump in because yeah, I, just let's recently, hear it. I just recently started a consultancy back in June of this year um, because the uh, my my other practice, my, you know, business consulting practice wasn't really going anywhere um, because it was really more of an in-place, in-person kind of kind of project. But uh, since that time, since starting in, in June, you know, the whole conversation about, you know, consultants and, and relationships with businesses has really kind of, I think, uniquely and for the better changed. So I don't know where the conversation was going before this, but I can tell you that as a consultant speaking to end user businesses that are looking to do something very specific in regards to efficiency, uh, data, um, understanding you know what to do with the data that they've got, um, having a whole problem in itself about data management and data analytics, that could be a whole separate discussion. And I think Bill, you and I were talking last time about a lot of, a lot of data analytics. Um, but what I have found is a, a more willingness, more openness to having dialogue, especially over these kinds of mediums and over LinkedIn as a as just kind of random that businesses and business leaders in even larger organizations are a little bit more open to having a LinkedIn dialogue yeah. uh, as the as the entree into what you know determining fit to a consultancy or a consultant inside of an organization. And then obviously I think the Zoom is a good register there too, because again, it allows them to kind of see the personality of the people that they're working with, which unless you were there in person, you were either putting A, a lot of time on the airplane, not touching the planet, or you were only focused on a specific geo geography inside of the United States, because you can't just be everywhere unless you're, you know, Chris Lockhart and he flies freaking everywhere. So not everywhere. I've been anywhere since March. So, I mean, important question though. Um, what are you drinking? Mm. Um, the, I know you're, you're a cocktail guy. I know you like fancy girls drinks. So what, what do you got? Uh, there? What is this that? is just, this is a Phil Yanoff Negroni. This is, oh, is that a Negroni? This is a Negroni. It's, it's the only thing I, I was going to make a hot toddy. And I was just like, well, that's just too much work for you guys. Speaking of serious drinks, speaking of serious drinks, it's a Negroni. Are you part of the club now where we keep them pre-made in the freezer? Ooh, I haven't. Honestly, that that thought never occurred to me, but now... Let me, let me call it's called Phil's infinite Negroni. And basically you just keep the bottle constantly replenished in the freezer. So you can pour one at any time, ice cold, ready to go. I'm sure glad I didn't know that like six, eight months ago. Otherwise, <laughs> right. Uh, you wouldn't remember my name. I'd, I'd be slobbering. I'd be slobbering really right now. Well, here's to, here's to frozen girls drinks in the, uh, in the, in the freezer. Yeah. What are, what are you drinking, Chris? What is that? <laughs> this is, um, this is uh, Bailey's. It's just Bailey's. I, I, and you were calling other people go saying other people. Did, did he say I, girls' no. drinks? Did you hear him too, Oliver? I heard the whole girls' drinks thing. What are you drinking, Carol? 
Oh, try. I'm I'm fairly tame this time of day. I actually have a client meeting later and I didn't think they'd see the humor in my inebriation at 10 a.m. So decided I would pass on that. I'm just, you know, letting you guys take care of it. Shashi and I are holding up the form here. Somebody needs to carry these uh, people who after two hours of drinking will be drunk, right? So is that, that's is that Shashi, uh, Shashi's thinking of, of old times. I know what you're yes. talking about, Shashi. Uh, undergrad days, that's what my role was. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I have all the stories and I have all the stories. That's really well put. That was my role in college as well. So I appreciate that. The way that you put that. Josh, yeah. You say college. You said undergrad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Josh, all the stories and thank you, Shashi, for joining us. Um, <laughs> Perhaps you've the, the number two, the number one phrase of 2020 is you're on mute. Yeah. The number yeah. two phrase is mute and boot. And let me show you how that works. Shashi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, Bill's drinking something too. Bill, what did you have? Did you show Oliver this? No, this is, this is a great story. This will be the third time we've heard it, but oh I think my God. Yeah. <laughs> are we, are we going to get off the first question? No. I've been talking about the question for about an hour now. It's a good one. Yeah, good whiskey horse soldier made by the guys Thank who you. dropped into Afghanistan. The first uh, was the horseback soldiers. Uh, they started oh yeah, I saw the movie. I yeah. saw the movie. Very cool. So it's really good. Their other uh, their bur- their barrel strength is amazing. So all right, cool story, yeah. but amazing whiskey. So. I, I will. Thank you, Shashi, for moving us along. I'll move on to the next question here from LinkedIn. Um, uh, we had a question around, oh, uh, some admin stuff, PTO, sick time, vacation, sick days. How do companies handle this? How have they been handling it? Oh, <laughs> go, Bill, go. <laughs> this is something I've been very much thinking about. It's funny because I still see people doing the traditional PTO stuff. Um, and some people not, some still doing the traditional PTO, rolling it in. I don't think it's going to die because I believe the underlying trust mechanisms in, in industry will not change. Um, no matter what you do, no matter how much you enable, and this is not be, this is, I don't want to be too pessimistic about it, but I don't think it's really going to change, which I think is interesting, but also does it need to change? You're working remotely. And do, do you have to be that accountable to saying, you know, who knows if I'm online, if I'm more, you know, if I disappear for two hours a day to go get, get my, my teeth cleaned or something like that. But, but that's, um, the point. that's the point. If, if you could do that kind of thing, if you can turn your video off, if you can like get out of the house for 10 minutes or whatever, does it matter if you're sick? Like you're not going to take a sick day for that. Right. Or are you, I mean, do, wouldn't you have to be like, I mean, we've all been sick. You've all taken like, shit, I really don't want to go to work today, but like, how bad does it really have to be for you to say, like, I'm not going to show up today. It's gotta be pretty bad. Right. I would think now it's like, yeah, if you're getting like a lung transplant or something, I got it. Right. But if like, or a liver transplant. Yeah. So I mean, on that bit, right. I mean, the thing is one of the reasons, you know, you don't go to work is because you feel bad. The other is that you're afraid that you might be contagious to your coworkers. That piece is gone. Right. In in much, in many cases. Right. So now it's, well, I feel bad. And like you said, I could kind of slog through that under most circumstances. Cause it's like, I, when I feel bad, I can still show up. I can still do my job. I just didn't want to pass it along to, along to other people. So I think those things are changed. You know, we just had this conversation last night because my wife's company is in this place, like where they did not allow rollover 
of PTO from year to year, right? So they required everybody to take it. But 2020 has been such a mess for them that they had to make a special 2020 provision to allow people to roll over one week of PTO and to be bought out of one week of their PTO if they were doing that. But the reason they were doing it because the their work schedules had been so messed up and they certainly didn't want everybody taken off the last half of December. So I think at, the, at this point, this is like some new point to have PTO, sick leave and all. And part of it, you mentioned about lung transplant and all. It's a mental checkout as well, right? Which is not visible. So you get exhausted so much mm. that you just want to take one day off because your work hours start and end is never structured. You start at probably eight and you end uh, at 12 in the midnight with a couple of hours off here and there you take for some yeah. personal work because your wife wants you to do something or your child needs some attention, but you need a mental checkout where you just shut down and take that. I mean, in my firm, they have uh, made unlimited leave now. What if, uh, is but, but what if, I mean, isn't, isn't the need for that reduced now that I can actually play Animal Crossing while I'm on a Zoom call? <laughs> Go ahead. Does that explain why you've been quiet, Phil? That's, yeah. that's all it is, really. It's just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm decorating my house while you guys talk. Yeah. I trust you with that. Uh, thank you. Oh, wait, wait I think we are moving in that direction. That's what I'm seeing is that it's much less, it's getting freer and freer because in the end, they still have metrics for success. And if those metrics aren't met, you're done. Yeah, and they exactly. don't care how many days you worked or how, how, if you put in 14 hour days, they don't care if the job isn't getting done, you're it's over. And well, but so, that's always been the thing in consulting, right? And Shashi, you know this too, right? Which is, you know, it doesn't, you know what? especially in, in top tier consulting, it's like, we're going to, this is our rate. Yes. And that's what you're going to get charged. Now exactly. we calculated that we can probably work less than that. And we have a margin and all that sort of stuff. But if that doesn't work out to be the case, you're still paying this and exactly. we're working this and we're right. getting it done and we're losing money. And that principal or director is fired, but that's the, um, they're transferred to technical consulting or something like that. But um, no, it's like this whole thing of it. It doesn't matter as long as it gets done. It is irrelevant how many vacations you take, how many sick days you have, et cetera. Sorry, Oliver, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, this feels like the biggest area for potential disruption for the big firms, you know, the kind of time-based billing model, which I think is rather outdated in yep. 2020. It's shown it to be massively outdated. You know, expensive right. day. But, but as you've just said, Chris, consulting is moving to an outcome-based model. Like value-based billing is something that I know was talked about when I was at Deloitte, but I genuinely think that's the area of innovation for consulting moving forwards is how do you break away from this time-based charging mechanism, which let's face it with technology-based solutions and AI and other things, no longer really works. I mean, it does for some traditional, perhaps audit-based services or you know, manual-based services, but services where you have a blend of technology and people and a world where you're not going on client site and clocking in, clocking out, kind of charging those hours. So that for me feels like the area for the most sort of, almost kind of, the business model innovation that's needed in consulting is, yeah. is what do you do beyond kind of time-based charging? Yeah, go oh, sorry. I just want to say like, as, as a prelude to what you were going to say, because I was going to already write, you train people on how to deliver projects. And, and yeah. if those people have people that are, yeah, maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't, you know, I'm sick. I'm here. I'm taking the kids to school. I'm in the car. I can't get on the zoom. Like what does that do to projects and keeping things on, on time schedule? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and that's what we try to, to focus on, uh, you know, with, with managing projects too, right? Because it's not, the, the basics is 
on time, on budget, on scope, on quality, etc. But for consulting firms, there's a, another another basic uh, basic metric, right? Profitability. Are the project managers, you know, making sure that they're maximizing margins? For the for the organization, and if though if you don't even have the on scope on budget all of that in on, on check profitability is like an advanced scale for a lot of people. So I mean, when people start going ahead and, and start taking time off randomly, well, I think that's fine as long as the projects are planned at a certain level of utilization of resources, right? If that's the case, then sure, everything is scheduled that way, everything is planned that way. But if, if it's, and even if there's like, you know, spike is some spikes up and down, at least from a leveling perspective, that's been accounted for. But right. if, if that's not been accounted for and people just decide to go ahead and, and take things as they want, then, then that's, that's just going to throw, throw things off the rail. But I was about to say to answer the original question, uh, I, I do sort of agree with where, where Bill was heading out with this is because I, I, you know, it took like a pandemic for people to realize that remote working actually works. <laughs> I think it might need some level of another, you know, monumental situation where people be like, all right, you know what, value-based work, outcome-based work, no PTOs. It's like something needs to happen there for, for people to really random magically realize that it's going to, that it's so let me ask. Let me ask that question. Do you think that that's in fact true, right? So some people figured it out, and I think some consulting firms have figured out this work because hell, they had to get an invoice out the door, and this is the way they yeah. did it, right? But I think there are still a number of companies that go, "Oh no, is the moment I can get them back, I am pulling them back," and they're going to say it's because hey, they're more innovative, blah blah blah. But it's really because they don't really know what it was they were supposed to be doing be to begin with, and the only way they knew if the job was getting done is because they had eyes on them. So thank you. I'll actually, sorry, I, I will take this moment to 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 take your leave, gents and Carol. Thank uh, you. I appreciate appreciate your time. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, and, so uh, Good seeing buddy. I look forward Great. to staying in touch. Thanks thank so much. Awesome. Happy thank holidays and have a wonderful New Year, guys. Thanks, thank Carol. You. Good to see Hussein. Bye. Thanks. Now, I, for Hussein yeah. to be joining us from Pakistan like that, that's yeah. awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank it's, you, sir. It's nine o'clock sure. at night. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah. It looks really bright <laughs> don't, outside. Don't be, but don't be by, uh, by yeah. the yeah. screen. Yeah. Thank you, family, for sharing. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Hussein. Good to see you. So I can't help but notice that everybody except Jim and I have beards. Is this a is this a 2020 thing? Well, so is I, this just Phil getting ready for to be Santa? I, what do we have I'm going gonna, on here? I'm gonna call I'm gonna call someone out here, and he knows what I'm gonna say. Oliver was back to, was side channeling me on LinkedIn. What did what, you say, Oliver? Well, yeah, I mean, like you know, I have I have form on on beard jokes, so I have to be a bit careful here. And in fact, yeah. again, yeah, again, you, I have to screenshot this to prove it. I have Chris above, and I have Phil. Phil, Phil below. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of I, I kind of thought it'd be great if Zoom could detect level of beard sort of length and order the screen based on you know kind of how mature and established the beard is. Perhaps that, perhaps that's a new feature that I can submit a feature request. Yeah. I can Zoom for. have a little more time on your hands now, don't you, Oliver? Yeah, I can wait tell. A second, this Oliver. is. Age and maturity are two different things because I may be up there on one of those scales, but I'm way at the bottom. <laughs> I just wanted to point out to Carol too that it's a new feature of Zoom that she could add the beard herself well, under so, the video ah, settings. So, so, so that, ah, that was Oliver's side channel. Oliver's I see. Oh my God! Wait a minute. Mailed Carol a beard. I can time. have a beard only yes. if you've uh, you have to have the latest version. And mine updated again this morning. 
Um, but under uh, it says call choose video filter and then you hit yeah. studio effects beta. And then on the right, it says mustache and beard and you can pick and add yourself a mustache. No, she's got one. I have a mustache. There you go. I have <laughs> a mustache. On, it's happening. Bear in mind, I have no envy of facial hair. So this is not to be it's seen. What do you call this? It's what do you call this? It's fantastic. <laughs> Stash envy, yeah. stash envy. Yeah. No, I, no, I think clearly Hussein had us all in the beard category. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, yeah, he did. So, so let's and I don't line. think his is a result of, of quarantine. No, no. But, but I'm but questioning the rest of you. That's who yeah. I'm. That's uh, what I think. Let's figure out. You have called out 2020. There it is. I've definitely seen more facial hair this year than I have. Let's say it's a case of kind of either beat them or join them, and it was kind of wow. Well, I'm gonna have to join them. I think. Yeah. And, now, and, now and someone more underwear. I've seen more underwear on Zoom than I think I've cared to see ever in my life. That, so, that's chat roulette. That's a lot of information. Yeah, um, uh, it's just now, it just gets it just gets bad. Yeah. Now, someone who's no slouch in the the facial hair category is Doug Cohn. Now, Doug, you you may recall Doug from I think a very early episode around DevOps. Was that was that DevOps? What did we talk about? I, I was actually going to Google it, and I did poorly <laughs> preparing because I started my vacation today. Uh, but I you, literally couldn't remember. It probably was definitely. It was open source. You thought Chris was going to prepare. No, yeah, I know. Oh, no, so, we will, so we will let Doug and Bill talk and all of us can leave. I'm looking. I thought it was open that's source. Not, that's not Chris. Open source. Thank oh, no. you. An open yeah, source. That would have made I'm sense. Long, long time CST fan. That's one, one I have watched. Look at that. The audience with us. Excellent. <laughs> Well played, Oliver. Well episode played. four, if you could believe it. Episode four. That was two years ago. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Has it wow. been that long? This is this is the end. This is the 36th episode. And I mean, you know, that's not a lot for a podcast, but I mean, these are hour-long episodes. A lot of podcasts are 15 minutes, right? So you can they do They seem much longer. They do seem Yeah, I was gonna say that. I was going there, Phil. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> um, so, so Doug, glad to see you. Um, we were having a conversation around, um, you know, various sort of predictions and things about how companies are going to respond to consulting in the new year, uh, things like that. I know you are basically, you've been freelance, you've run your own thing, you've done a whole bunch of different stuff. I think you're you're with a stable firm now. Kind of, you, you took the Bill Benson route. I, I don't want to well, say you so sold the, out. The secret, like went, the secret went, is, is that <laughs> I'm, I'm still consulting. I'm just consulting in the the under the overview of a, a corporate overlord, I think a lot of companies are going to be leaner uh, when it comes to like travel budgets and things like that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more vo virtual simply because the overhead of travel and whatnot is not there. So I definitely think that consultants will need to be able to engage in what they're doing in a, from a remote perspective more than in the past. Um, Companies are going to be more interested, I think, in consultants, particularly those who offer their services remotely, because they're going to want to do the same thing, the same trend that you're seeing with cloud services, you're going to start seeing with staffing. Um, and that's, I want to spin up a department of resources to build out a new feature. Maybe it's a mobile application, right? I want to spin up a, a set of resources, uh, you know, not necessarily an offshore team, but I want to spin up uh, short-term resources around that and build out the application. And then I want to support it in-house. Um, I want to have you know two full-time staff that I pay, not a department of 10. 
So I'm going to augment the department of two with an overseas or wherever consultants that build the mobile application. And then my guys internally will support it. I think you'll see a ton of that, especially in the e-commerce space, because people recognize their businesses. They're not the expert at e-commerce platforms. So they're either going to buy Shopify and have someone help them implement it, or they're going to go open source and use WooCommerce or Drupal Commerce or something like that. But again, they're not going to be experts in those spaces. So they're going to lean on consultants to shore up the weaknesses in their knowledge base um, and then shed those consultants as, as they get a rhythm with their internal teams. Um, I, th I think those are the two big sort of things that I see. Doug, I, I think you're, you're dead on there. I think we're going to have a limited view. And so the, 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 the consultant who's going to win is the one who can stay out ahead of the curve. And, you know, that's going to be an all-nighter on a regular basis. But yeah, you're going to have to continuously be agile and staying ahead in order to provide value because they're going to bring it in-house as soon as they can. can well, or can the value you need to provide is, is not based in implementation. It's based in long-term relational. So it's coming in every couple of months and doing some analytics work and providing insight into that that they didn't take to an, an integrator or an implementer. Um, and have done by a, you know, a scaling team. And so you've established a long-term relationship where you come in every so often and you provide those insights and that consulting relationship. Um, and, and obviously a lower cost than hiring a CTO would bring to the table, um, right. but also presumably a higher level of expertise in a space. I could see a lot of value for somebody, especially if your chops are e-commerce related. Um, yeah, come back to me every six months with better ideas and let's go back to our team and implement them and then we'll come back and cycle. So there, I think there are definitely some long nights. I think two things will help somebody to stay at the top and that's one is building the long-term relationship, not just going um, tiger hunting every week, right? But building, just doing a little bit of farming if you want to chase those metaphors a little bit. But also um, value-based pricing is probably something that I can see being a major, major thing for people to adopt. If you're charging by the hour, that's great. Maybe you're getting 300 bucks an hour as a consultant and you get the gravy of some extra travel and some fees on top, but that's not going to sustain you well in a, um, in a cyclical relationship where it's very feast or famine. Um, whereas value-based pricing, well, you know, we just added $50,000 a month to the bottom line of your e-commerce site with the things that we came up with. What's that worth to your company? Is yeah. that worth 50 grand? Well, sure. It only took me three hours to come up with that solution to provide you with the resources. But is that a 50, is that, is that worth $15,000 an hour to you? Well, if you put it in hourly terms, no one's going to say yes. Right. But right. if you look at it in the ga in the grand scheme of like, well, this is going to turn your business into a $50,000 a month thing or a $50,000 a month increase. Now let's talk about what that's worth to your company. I think that's something that I would focus on is like feast or famine, sure, but what are you charging? I mean, let's face it, we're consultants. So we're bringing in people to actually do some implementation or we're bringing in some software, we're bringing in some, some other things to make it happen. Those people are the ones that are going to be receiving that, that revenue stream from that company because they're bringing in those apps. I've moved my consultancy to a revenue share model, meaning I'm going to split a commission. Every time the customer pays you, Mr. App Guy, that I'm bringing in to have you do something for them, I'm taking 25%, 30% of that commission for as long as you are doing business with that company. That, to me, is really more value 
not only to me, but to the client. Because if, if things tank and then the client says, no, can't do this anymore, no one's out that initial, you know, $300 square foot bill that I got from these guys. Uh, that was ridiculous. And so I, I kind of see a different perspective there. I think that if we are, as consultants, working with a number of different providers that could do something interesting, I built this new practice of mine just specifically solely on a commission split perspective. Bring me in. I will sell the client on your particular solution. And for that, we will split commission based on the amount of revenue that's just coming in, period. End of story. Customer ends up, usually there's about four, four and a half years on these types of applications, uh, lifespan inside of a company. Boom, I know I, I can pretty much project out. I've got a business model. They've got a business model. You're pricing it more strategically. And what you're doing is you're aligning incentives there, right? The incentive right. is, hey, I'm going to do better as long as you stay a customer. I'm going to keep making this better and keep improving this and keep coming back to you with good ideas right. as long right. as this relationship is thriving. And it's because it's commission-based. I have every incentive to make that commission go up, right? Um, yes. Your customer probably needs to be careful that the incentive is aligned properly with their objectives because uh, just making the commission go up doesn't necessarily make their objectives uh, more successful. But um, I think well, if you're solving a problem and layering. To, right. Finding ways to do that where you're sharing revenue or you're doing something on a percentage basis instead of an hourly basis is going to be pretty big. That's how I started. Right. I started as yeah. hourly consulting um, and that. Uh, that led to me, like I consulted with an author on her website and we redid her book sales pages and she went, I want to say the number was like a 400% increase in sales of her books through her pages, just because we reconfigured the layout, moved the buy button to make it more clear what it was, you know, what she, where you could take action and send it straight through. Um, and I mean, what would you pay for a 400% increase in sales? Well, I'm glad I, you asked I that question. Thirty-five dollars. <laughs> I, I, I paid thirty-five dollars an hour for that. So, <laughs> Doug, I'm really, I'm really glad you asked the question um, on what I could do to sell more copies of the People Problem, the <laughs> seller uh, that was released. Really glad I could give you a nice segue there. You're welcome. And it's now on sale. And I don't, I don't know if you may, maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. It's on sale. It's fifty percent off through the end of the year if you enter the code. Uh, Xmas Miracle. Oh, Xmas Miracle, all in caps. Um, also on Amazon, the Kindle version is now 99 cents, which is essentially free. So uh, check that out. Um, no, but thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jim. I mean, I know you guys are busy. If you want to drop, go ahead. If not, that's fine. I know we've got our we've got another guest that joined just joined us. I want to get him in here. Jim, you out? Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I do have to jump, but thank you, guys. It was Same great to see you, buddy. We'll see you around. See you. again, Bill. Bill, we're going to have to catch up soon, buddy. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> if you can get in touch, absolutely a hard yeah. chat to get a, a hold of. 135 bucks an hour. 135 bucks an hour. Nathan. Nathan. Bye, guys. Oh, Bye, Doug. Doug. Thanks, Doug. See you, Doug. See you, Doug. Good to see you. Merry Christmas, buddy. Nathan Alchin, welcome back. Now, Nathan, yes. you may recall we discussed um, what did we discuss? <laughs> well, you may recall. When well, you say you may recall, I mean because I don't recall. What did you that, that Bailey's is really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's worked really well. Yeah, that Bailey's is really good. What the hell did we talk about, Nathan? I think it's just old age. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Philosophy Bill. or something, wasn't it? Um, we talked about something. Well, whatever. Terrorism. I'm That's right. Uh, philosophy. It was philosophy, right? The philosophy around consulting and is there a framework that we could use to sort of guide our lives in turbulent times. So thanks for coming back, Nathan. I see you're still in the Royal Observatory there, which is fantastic. Um, you and Oliver, you're just down the street from each other, right? You gonna you should ride your bikes over to each other's house. Yeah, a short bike ride away. <laughs> oh, nice sweater, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I, Oliver, you wanted to, you. I think you had something to say there, didn't you? About um... uh, we we could do. It. Yeah, go for it. Depends if you're going to make it the cold open for for the whole. It was. It was. By the way, it was all me, and it was all editing. I brought it up. It wasn't Nathan? Don't blame him for the. You know, Oliver only rides. I, I, th I, th I think Nathan wasn't Nathan kind of uh, telling you that he'd just fallen off his bike when you were recording that episode. He was muddy or something. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Wait, are, are you suggesting he fell off his bike, Oliver? Nathan, do you want to do you want to do you want to correct me there? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to correct you. No, I I I had an encounter with a, a pool of mud. Uh, it's fair to say. Uh, I was picking mud out of my hair literally about 30 seconds before I joined the oh, charming discussion on stoicism. So yeah. I remember that. First of all, great, great sweater. I love that. And um, what, are you, what are you drinking here today? Uh, so I'm drinking uh, uh, Reserve Port. That's what I'm drinking today. Oh, it's all nice. way more sophisticated than the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, that's oh added a touch of class to this conversation. Well uh, done. Well, I got the library, so it, it felt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, um, I was in one of the uh, one of the big four, um, beginning of the year, and one of the things I noticed, and this was starting to happen pre-pandemic, but it certainly doubled down once the pandemic hit. And that was um, the way the network effect of certain, um, I guess, corporate-based social media-style tools was starting to act as almost like an alternative hierarchy to the org design. So uh, people in their roles were prioritizing contact with people via the tool than they were people through other mediums. And what that was doing is that was um, reducing their contact time sometimes with their, the people in their org design, of which they were a part, um, but increasing their contact time with the people on those network tools. And that was starting to have some interesting repercussions in terms of seeing how um, how something like a, a big four, which is a very hierarchical system, um, how they were uh, having difficulty coming to terms with that, that that reality. So that's kind of one one kind of uh, real world example I give you. I'd also say, from the point of view of a buyer of consultancy services, uh, I think you're going to see. Uh, lots of different test and learn uh, within the market. You're getting a lot of these kind of platform style apps coming along where they're basically trying to uh, capture the attention of people like ourselves um, and then almost turn it into a, um, 
a digital cattle market for buyers, whereby the buyer will have fill out some rudimentary web form, and then up will you know up will pop a mugshot of Chris and a mugshot of Phil and a mugshot of uh, of Bill, and, and effectively it becomes a beauty contest for the point of view of the buyer, where they've kind of they've plugged in their um their their choices, and then effectively they get to it's almost like a corporate version of Tinder, I guess, but yeah. There, there may be mugshots of me. I'm, I know there's mugshots of Phil. I don't know about, I don't know about Bill though. No, no I mean Nathan. The biggest question here: Would you swipe right or left on me if that happened? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and this is how the romance I'd started. Up, I'd change the app. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, oh there's, a, there's a couple of, uh, I guess off the top of my head, a couple of things I'm seeing. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm co-authoring a, a paper on um, consultancy in 2024 with an ex-colleague who um, has uh, just finished being a strategist at McKinsey. So, so quick question. You talked about the uh, the communication channels in the big four. Um, out of curiosity, was it the fact that all of a sudden, was it a uh, not following the hierarchy and not being... Um, I'm trying to think of a way not to say it. It's not a pessimistic sort of poke at the big four. I've been poking at them all day. But okay. is it the uh, <laughs> is it is it as a way that they were not doing what they're being told to do, or they were uh, they're doing things? Uh, what do you? I guess I, I guess I, I'm gonna phrase that into another question since I can't put it into words. I can't think about it. Uh, when you say it was the hierarchy was having trouble with it, what do you mean by that? Out of curiosity. So um, uh, generally what I would describe as command and control style organizations, part of the way they work is they rely upon the predictability of those in the lower ranks in terms of their behaviorisms. If something comes along that starts dramatically changing the behaviors of those in the lower ranks, that can be extremely uh, discombobulating for those uh, in senior positions because they they will have developed uh, habits of their own ways of working based upon their assumptions on how the troops are operating. And if the troops start changing their ways of working, um, then, you know, you can get instances where I'm a partner in, in a firm and I've got my glass office and I'm, I'm lord of my being kingdom. And suddenly now I don't have any young whippersnappers scratching at the at my glass door to try and get my attention because we're all working remotely. And they're not talking to me because I barely know how to use the tool anyway. They're, they're talking to the directors underneath me. Uh, and all the decisions and operational levels start getting made there. And then I find myself on calls and it's clear I don't know what the hell's going on. So what you're seeing is the actual hierarchical structure being challenged, a, a traditional organization being challenged by today is not just communication technology, but the human systems that the communication technology uh, reinforces, which is flat decision making. And uh, so you absolutely. And, and also networking that cuts across traditional org designs. Yeah. Gotcha. I want to welcome Mike Walker who um, Mike, Mike joined us for an episode, by the way, he looks like way more dapper than the rest of us, uh, except, except maybe Nathan, who, again, uh, he's, I think the queen's waiting in the next room for Nathan there. But, uh, you know, uh, but Mike joined us for an episode around enterprise architecture. I think that was last year, was it, Mike? Or, I think it was last so, year. Yeah. It was like, it was a while back. But um, 
you know, we're so thanks for joining us. First of all, great outfit. Um, I don't know if you got a drink or what, what are you, what are you drinking? You got a, you got a drink there? Uh, I, I do. You know, if you're going to get this dressed up, you, you got to have a, a beverage, a tasty beverage in your hands. So I've got a hoppy holiday ale here with us here today. Oh yeah. This camera will zoom in. This is a, uh, Sorry, did that say white claw? I didn't quite see that on the, on the screen. Was that a, <laughs> <laughs> the guy drinking uh, Bailey's is still giving everybody else go. crap. I know. I've almost, <laughs> almost drank the whole bottle of Bailey's. So, you know. <laughs> now, this is a uh, local beer uh, in Cincinnati called Rheingeist. And it's uh, lovingly referred to as Dad. And that's it. So hmm. this is uh, what Dad's going to get help from a little bit this year. You know, the word off all the crazies. I'm curious, sort of from like an enterprise architecture perspective, because you are Mike the Architect at Mike, Mike, the architect on Twitter and at, is it Mike, the architect dot blogspot? No, I'm just making stuff up. No, what, what's the URL? <laughs> Mike, the architect.com. Listen, I like to keep it as simple as possible. It's yeah. uh, Mike, the architect.com and you get all the, all the mic you can handle. So I'd be, I'd be curious from, <laughs> wow. That is a YouTube channel. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I'm going to pour another glass of Bailey's. Hold on. Predictions for 2021. That's go. Thank you. Thank you very Just much. Just go. Chris, Chris, Chris <laughs> as, you, as you pour that glass of Bailey's, will your jumper magically change again back to another <laughs> jumper? Thank you. Thank you for that. I, uh, I, I, I changed into what I thought was a great Christmas sweater. Uh, it was Santa Claus, and it says, ask your mom if I'm real. And I thought that that was pretty hilarious. Uh, but then I realized when I was on the screen, it just said, ask your mom. Yeah. I could be sending a couple different messages. Yeah. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. I wasn't. So, <laughs> you know, thanks, Oliver. Correct. Yeah. Thanks, Oliver. It was also, it was also, I bought it also when it was a little smaller. So thanks for, thanks for <laughs> 2020, <laughs> man. Strikes covid uh, wow. Yeah, so Oliver, save us. Or Mike, save us. Uh, yeah. No, tell us. What does Mike think? Well, that, that's a dangerous proposition to start to dive into my head. But we'll, we'll, we'll indulge everyone here. Um, so I think there's a few things. If there were a few things, kind of the salient things that enterprise architects have taken away from 2020 has been practicality. You know, the majority of the enterprise architects that uh, I've met with over the past six to 12 months have dramatically shifted the uh, list of questions that they've asked me uh, around enterprise architecture from what is the best enterprise architecture standard? What is, you know, how should I model my uh, environment? Should I use Archimate? Should I, uh, well, if I'm in the Netherlands, maybe it's Archimate. Uh, but uh, anywho, um, all these very specific procedural kind of, art, you know, I call it the Builders Guild questions have gone away. Now it's about the shit has hit the fan. And what do we do to help be productive in the organization? How do we pivot? And how do we take all the great stuff that we know how to do around kind of future thinking and make sure that our short-term uh, tactical solutions are as future-proof as you can make them? Because obviously, you know, you can only do what you can do. But it's taking all those best practices and making sure that you've got something that is somewhat durable 
uh, in the near future. So that's number one, I think, uh, is a big one, which is uh, enterprise architects getting back to being practical, rolling up their sleeves. Uh, hopefully they don't, you know, uh, the, uh, the old uh, saying, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and by the way, whoever's come up with these analogies, yes. they're really bad parents. Yeah, um, that's a bad one. So uh, same thing with, you know, skinning the cat. It's like, who, who the hell comes up with these things? But at any rate, um, it's, a, it's a sadist. Which is there more of bad parents or cat haters? That's the yeah, question. Right. Beating a dead horse. That seems like a, just a terrible enter enterprise to undertake. Yeah, but who gets hurt? Who gets hurt? But, but Mike, how's that any different than normal times? I mean, like, isn't, isn't that what our enterprise architects should be doing anyway? Rolling up yeah. their sleeves, changing their Christmas sweaters into something more comfortable that fits a little bit better, that sort of thing? Agile wardrobe training changing is a vital capability. Um, 2021 trend, that's for sure. <clears throat> Let it yes. breathe. Let it breathe. So, <laughs> yes, it's supposed to be. And for those of us that have been in the enterprise architecture space for a number of years, that's probably been one of our biggest gripes. Now, how I kind of calibrate what's a trend and what's not a trend is based on, you know, like I said earlier, what people are actually asking me. Whereas before I would get a flood of questions about, oh, Mike, you talked about in your blog, this and that, and, you know, how to set up an architecture review board and, and this and that. And while there are still people that ask that and still need that kind of guidance and advice, uh, it is now shifted to, well, we now have to go to a touchless world. How do we help our enterprise get to a touchless world? How do we support a hybrid work environment? What does that look like? I need to make my city a smart city because the mayor said a proclamation on the news and now we're left holding the bag and we've got to deal with all this crap, right? And so I think that, that this was a forcing function to do the right thing. Now, like I was starting to say earlier, I hope that this isn't one of those things where we as technology professionals take things too far and we take the enterprise architects and make them solution architects. I do not think that's the right answer. Uh, should they... Should they dip their toes in the water there? Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, let's make sure that there is a healthy separation between what the enterprise architects are doing and the solution architects. Nathan, what, what were you saying there? You Sorry, I was being, I was being rude and interrupted, Mike. Um, I was just going to say, Mike, I, I have seen some evidence this year that um, certain organizations, quite wrongly, um, but certain organizations have reacted to the pandemic. Uh, one of the things they've done is, is turn their EA function into a, a, into a solution architecture function. Yep. Yeah. What's yeah, and I think that's going to naturally happen. And I, I've actually run across a couple companies. I mean, these were big companies, um, yeah. you know, uh, global fortune 50 companies. And my advice to them was just Enterprise architects, one of those things that you just can't shake. Um, I don't know how many times I've talked to companies where they've said, this is my fifth, sixth iteration of enterprise architecture. <laughs> you know, uh, we keep killing it and then we bring it back from the dead because we were like, oh crap, we really do need this thing. Um, so my advice to them is take a, a short hiatus, but you're going to be coming back. So don't lose any of those, those, that way of thinking, those activities, uh, but let's indulge the organization, make sure that we get practical things done now. And then when the organization's ready, then we can flip a bit and be ready for enterprise architecture. Is it, is it coming back the way it was before? What's the long-term impact of making all your EAs solution architects? Do they ever come back? 
Well, no, I think you then feel the pain, don't you, of, of short-term decision-making and, and no one looking at the bigger picture. I think it kind of naturally comes back. I mean, there's an interesting kind of thing here as well about how much do you federate that enterprise architecture thinking within sort of programs and business units and, and projects uh, so that people become more like solution architects in their thinking versus how much you bring that back centrally. And I was having a really interesting conversation with Paul Price, who's the ISA um, CEO, the International Association of Software Architects, about how he thinks that that is a cyclical sort of phase that, that you know, there's more solution architecture, more sort of federated decision-making and then there's more centralized. And I said, I wonder actually if there's a link between that and the kind of nature of technology, like the kind of you know, cloud being more centralized and then you know, edge is, is starting to kind of go back the other way. So, you know, there's an interesting kind of debate about what's the kind of optimal, you know, decision point. Is it at the business unit level? Is it at the kind of you know, global organization level, where, where, where should that kind of governance and decision-making kind of sit? Yeah, I think those are all uh, phenomenal points. And um, in my personal opinion, again, this is just my personal opinion. Um, I, what I've observed over the years is that enterprise architecture and enterprise architects, uh, it's been a highly sought off after role. And sometimes you've got people that are not enterprise architects that have the title of enterprise architect. And, you know, the only thing that I ask is if you want, if you're aspiring to be an enterprise architect, that's great. And the organization should support that. And there should be a, you know, a support system around that. However, if you are a solution architect and you're in kind of denial or you just want to bump and pay or, uh, you know, some level of authority, which enterprise architects really don't have much authority, um, then, you know, I think it's kind of weeding that out. This phenomenon does a natural kind of uh, cleansing. Uh, and, and again, in my personal opinion, whenever I've set up EA offices, I've never had more than 10 enterprise architects. Usually it's five or six. And I tie each one of those to a line of business. Yeah. And to keep these guys on their feet, what I would do is I would say, you're going to be spending a year in consumer mortgage. Next year, you're going to another line of business. Mm. We don't know which one that is, but you got to do all the great relationship building and great EA stuff. And you got to reapply that in this other line of business. And yeah. what that does is it gets at what you're saying um, around uh, making sure that uh, there's a, a well-grounded understanding of the company. And so by the time, you know, you know, four or five years rolled around, all of my enterprise architects knew the entire business they had deep relationships with the line of business leaders on the business side uh, to be able to help kind of drive things forward. So then it made enterprise architecture a lot easier, but you had to get past that initial hump and kind of earn your stripes, if you will. So, and I, I hear you, Mike, and what you're saying is absolutely the right thing to do. Do I think the market's going to go in that direction? Absolutely not. I think, I think most organizations don't understand EA. No. And if you sit down with HR, which I have done a few times now, and you do a bit of org design, they never know where to put EA. It always causes an argument. And either it's either it's um, board members fighting over the function or board members not wanting the function as part of their business unit. It's always one of the two. Yeah, there's never a middle ground. So what I actually predict is going to happen, and, and we were sort of, it's just, it was a topic just before you arrived, Mike, was around this idea that, um, uh, companies are going to look to hire in expertise at the top end. I can actually see a lot of companies trying to 
uh, as part of the cycle we've just described, when things get difficult, they'll look to hire in an EA capability, um, get some wise men, you know, with nice colored hats and long white beards in, maybe some frankincense, golden myrrh, uh, and, and pontificate for a while, create some uh, very wise documents, uh, and then piss off, um, whereby the cycle will then continue again. Um, it's not, not, not a happy uh, prediction, Mike. I want to support that one because it's interesting. I think and this will get a little philosophy, right? So you think about enterprise architecture and software design in general, but it is a design um, it is a design, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It is a discipline. design discipline. Yes. And what I would argue is most of these companies looking to hire in, they don't understand design disciplines at their fundamental state. And so as you have this IT to business alignment where you went from being a ticket taker, ticket taker to now a uh, design operation, um, unless your C-suite and your higher levels understand that and they restructure organizational uh, behaviors to accomplish that, Something like EA won't stick, and then a bit of a bit of where you're going, Nathan, it'll be just this vicious cycle of coming in, coming out, basically entropy, right? So you get to a state where you have energy, and then they go and it entropies into something that's non-functional. Then people just come in and out again, again, again. And I almost think this not being pessimistic, realistic, that would be the constant state. Um, I'll stop right there and take in comments. But yeah, I think it, you, the, the fundamental underpin is it's it's a design approach, it's a design discipline, and until organizations understand that software in and of itself is a design concept and you have to structure around that. Uh, it doesn't matter what tech, what things you bring in EA, it's going to be a vicious cycle of, uh, of political success. And I say political success because it will be measured by the, the way to, to market um, and then uh, political failure, i.e. the person before we sucked. Um, can, yeah. can I, I have to jump, unfortunately, to a client call, but can I ask, can I leave you guys with a question? Is EA a change function or is it a plan function? It's, it's both. both. Well, you know, I, I would say both. Well, I'd, I'd agree, but I think part of the issue from an OD point of view is a lot of the time it gets associated with a change function. Could it be because people don't understand yeah. continuous improvement at, its, at the heart of it, right? If continuous improvement is something you do on a daily basis, you think EA... Um, but, but, but Bill, things improve because of my leadership as a senior manager. Yeah, they don't improve because of the people who work underneath me. Yeah, don't leave room for my career development. Is that, is that just brute force? <laughs> you improve things just yeah. through dic diktat, right? Is that executive yeah, order? Through, I think my panache, you know, yeah. but my coach is telling me this all the time, and I think I've just been. They call that the benevolent dictator model. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I want to leave you with, with, with uh, just something to think about. Um, and so I'm going to get very, very practical here. Um, Mike, Mike that, is, that, that is so consultative. I'm going to leave you something to think about and you deal with it later on. <laughs> the thing I want you something to think about is called an invoice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Here's sorry, a deck in your homework it. assignment. Yeah. Holiday brain candy. Yes. So... Think about all the strategic functions within a company. You know, you've got your innovation office, you got your CIO, you got your CTO, your CDO, you know, all the kind of CXs within IT. There is absolutely no consistency upon the leadership roles in companies 
any of these roles. So, you know, we like to pick on enterprise architecture, but I would actually assert the CIO is actually in a worse position as than the EA or the chief architect. You know, what is the average lifespan of a CIO? It's like three, four, five years, right? Um, you know, that is not a good track record, right? And, you know, when we when you think about it, you know, what you just said around the, the you know, the, uh, the fish rots at the head analogy, you know, you have to think about some of these decisions that some of these tactical CIOs are doing, where they're just looking at uh, IT as a whole as an execution order taker function, which mm. in my belief, it shouldn't be because there's no business on this planet that is just a business company. You know, every company is a technology company to some degree. And so I think what I wanted to leave you with is, while I don't disagree with, with some organizations will do that, what I do disagree with is that I think every company looks at enterprise architecture a little bit differently because enterprise architecture isn't a discipline. Most roles in IT are not disciplines in the traditional, if you're a welder or carpenter, et cetera. Um, and so that causes a lot of problems uh, in consistency. So I don't look at that as an EA problem. I look at it as a profession problem. We're operating within a profession that has very, very soft uh, walls around it. Mm. And we're our own worst enemy. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. Great to meet Hi, you, Nathan. Nathan. Good to see you again. Thank you again. I do think that there is going to be a good portion of enterprise architecture organizations that are on the more mature side that are going to focus on innovation as one of their primary uh, areas of focus. And, you know, we brought it up before around cloud and the pervasive move to cloud. We talked about edge and, you know, uh, managing all that complexity, you know, the IT, OT scenario, all that stuff. Uh, so I think that those enterprise architects worth their, worth their salt, they're going to realize, and they've most of them have already realized that, hey, we've got to pivot here into running and growing our business to transforming our business. Uh, and so they're going to focus more on the innovation side of the house uh, in planning and change management, et cetera. Now, the second additional one uh, is around information architecture. I think information architecture has been the proverbial redheaded stepchild within enterprise architecture. Um, we can't afford not to look at it now. Between artificial intelligence, blockchain, IoT, regulation around our supply chains and cloud computing, et cetera, all the lift and shift activities, all this activity predicates that you have good data. And so if, if you have a data lake, fantastic. But if you don't understand it and you've got the wrong data in there, well, it doesn't do you any good. It may even hurt you. And so I think that information architecture, folks will take the hype around business architecture, shift that to information architecture and start talking about those real geeky taxonomies and ontologies and how to make them dynamic and how to build reinforcement learning models around them, et cetera. So a few things to think about. Mike, yeah, Mike, so I want to add on to that. So basically what you're saying is based on your prediction, people have not done their job for the last two decades because right. the same statement was made about information last year, last, last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, we have been talking about the data management practices. We have been talking about enterprise architecture as a profession. At this point, if we are still predicting these two things going forward, which of course it is, all the right predictions, but I think people have not listened to anything over the last decade or more. They have not done a good job of doing that thing. 
I keep on saying like lately I've been involved more into the tech stuff. I think I mean we some of us ran like some sort of a survey of CIO CEOs and all, and I'm looking the outcome of that survey. Not a single thing is new. I couldn't find that one thing which is a new insight from those surveys. So my worry is uh, businesses and the people and the leaders and architects have not been doing their job for whatever reason it can be properly, and we are still stuck. Do the basics right. We have Larry. Could, we have Larry joining us. Uh, Larry, hey, Larry, how are you? Hey, Larry's Larry. probably somewhere well, in buddy. Pennsylvania, probably on the side of the road in Pittsburgh, somewhere or something. I don't know. Paddle boarding. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, canoeing or out, he's doing something probably more impressive than what we're doing. Oh, no, he's he's connecting the dots. He's connecting the dots. He's always connecting the dots. I am out dropping off my secret Santa gifts in my car, and Chris just pinged me and told me I missed the boat on joining this party. So I wanted to drop in and say hello to everybody. Happy holidays, everybody. everybody Happy doing? holidays. Thanks, Thanks Larry. Larry. Well, Larry we, were, we were just talking about predictions for 2021 in, in the consulting industry and like, you know, between, you know, obviously changes in remote work and all that different thing, uh, but, you know, also changes in, in how companies engage consultants and what they may be expecting now that there's been some changes in how we deliver work, right? So I don't know what your thoughts might be there. Oh, well, on the spot. Sure, why not? Yeah, um, go. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think you all live this every single day too. I mean, not just the virtual nature uh, of our work, but I think expectations are going to be radically shifted in as much as uh, we're going to teach our clients how to do this at scale. Um, you know, I've been through what now, well, eight months of being virtual with my clients uh, at scale. And quite frankly, they have learned so much from using the tools that we use and that we use every single day. My prediction is that our clients are going to lean on us even heavier to learn from our way of working, um, that they can embed that back into their culture. I think I see that every single day. And frankly, I get more requests for consulting on how to be remote uh, and probably even less so on the traditional kind of work that I was doing. Well, Chris, I, mean, I think there's one thing we could pick up on the new year, which is you know, two years ago, we talked about, and I shared my thoughts on kind of work-life integration, yeah. which was kind of like this nebulous thing. Well, like here we are living it every single day. We don't know balance these days. So I'd love to pick up on that conversation in the new year if you guys are interested in going deeper on that. Yeah, I, I think will. That's a good idea. That's <laughs> yeah, a great I'm idea. with you. We've, we've gone from work at home to live at work. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, on every level. Mm-hmm. Well, Larry, thanks for dropping in. I appreciate it. Mike, thank you for dropping in. Oliver, also always appreciated um, when you could drop in. Um, guys, you know, I'm glad the year's over. Let's let's see what the new year holds. Stay healthy, everybody. See, take care. Thank, thank you, Larry. Nice to see you, Larry. Bye now. Bye, Mike. Yeah, bye bye. That was fun. Well, what I walked away from it was I thought was consistent is all about relationship. In the end, it all keeps coming back to relationship. Who you knew before, you got to stay in touch. You got to stay in touch in the new virtual world in a meaningful way. And that those are important things. Holy. So is it nap time next, Chris? I, I got to do some work. <laughs> I, I, I got a jack to do it. I'd avoid the send button if I were you. <laughs> sure. As, as Sashi knows, there's a breathalyzer no, 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 attached no. to it. No, no. You, if, you, if you are saying this to Chris, you don't know him. He... Uh, yeah, he can like, you know, sleep at four o'clock, get up, rush right sharp at eight o'clock at client meeting and make them feel that, you know, nothing happened and still in his hundred percent. While others who were with him awesome. are still not in the office. They don't show up in the office. Others who are with him. I had that skill in my twenties, but that skill seems to have been Jeez. worn to worn now. It's expired, if you will. Oh my God. 
<laughs> well, that was a fascinating set of conversations, guys. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. I, I don't know if you guys enjoyed, um, you know, con- reconnecting with all those people that we talked to. Um, some of the questions off of LinkedIn. Um, I, final thoughts, Carol. Ladies first. What, what, what's your final thought for the year? I think it's all about relationship and it's going to have more pressure on that this 2021 than it ever has because the relationship that we used to get from shaking hands now has to be virtual. And those who learn how to reach out both in business and in just personal connection are the ones who are going to get the first call when they need something. So I think that's just been reiterated over and over again. So I'm excited about, uh, you know, the coming year and more so of the way 2020 has been for all of us. I see light at the end of the tunnel, both on various fronts, um, all, all the dimensions of our life. And uh, I'm looking forward to the great things happening in 2021. Uh, I don't mind traveling, so I, I can continue without traveling much. Uh, as far as work is concerned, um, I'm, I would 100% agree with Carol. It's, it's the people. I think we will start valuing people a bit more. Um, and I think the level of empathy hopefully would have gone higher between within the firm, within our colleagues, as well as between our client and us as well. So client can empathize a lot more with us. Um, looking forward to seeing how 2021 shapes up on what it brings to us. We're going to go into 2021. Hopefully things get a little better on the COVID side, but 80% of things will not change. 20% will. But those 20% will, will be people who they've taken this past year to learn, understand, grow people and organizations. And so what I think you're going to see in 2020 is a very unique value propositions being offered that may not have otherwise been offered or pursued um, if there wasn't what happened in 2020. Um, so in general, I'm realistic. I don't think much is going to change because of inertia. But at the end of the day, I think that the people that took the opportunity to find that took the time to find the opportunities and what happened, there's going to be some very unique value propositions come up that we're going to be around. But I'm interested to see by this time next year, 2021, what the, what those are and how people execute on them. You just led to a blackout in my end, light at the end of the tunnel by saying only 20% will change. <laughs> Phil, it's a train. It's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a train, Shashi. So Phil Vanyanoff. Yes. Yes. But uh, so, you know, the thing I got out of all of this, of course, I think it caps all the things, everything said, I think, beginning with what Carol brought to it, which is, you know, think about all the conversations we have. What a treat to have all those folks kind of roll back in with us. And I'm always worried that these conversations can seem or feel a little self-indulgent because we're having a good time. And my question is always, is the audience having a good time too? But the fact is, I know that I've always loved hanging around when smart people are talking and I enjoyed this conversation. Let me tell you, Chris, it wouldn't happen if you didn't start the campfire and the world needs more people building campfires. And I think it has been great that this one has gone on this long and this many episodes. So uh, thanks for building the fire. Thanks for inviting me to pull up a chair. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, look for me, I drank a whole bottle of Baileys while we were recording this. I mean, that's a lot of Baileys. Um, it's like 20,000 calories of sugar, probably. <laughs> um, no, I look, I mean, I think it was, we were smoking cigars, what, four years ago, Phil, and you said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, you should probably 
record some of this stuff because these are engaging, interesting conversations with interesting people. And it wouldn't be interesting if I was doing all the talking because who the hell wants to listen to that, right? This is all about interesting people that we have. Look, I mean, you know, we had Larry pull over on the side of the road, uh, you know, to dial in on his phone to, to, you know, say hi and offer his two cents on where he thought things were going. We had, you know, Hussein join us from Pakistan. We had Oliver and Nathan join us from London. I mean, or well... Berkshire, wherever, wherever, wherever the hell Oliver is, somewhere. Oh, wait a second, he was in the tier four zone, so it didn't he's, matter. He might not have been in London proper, but he has all the badness that goes along with it. Yeah, he's just on, on the edge there. And so, yeah, I think. Look, you know, when you, when you know, what, who, who was it? Steve Jobs, or was he quoting someone else? Right? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Like, uh, you know, I'm happy to be the dumbest idiot in any room at any given time because. If I can learn anything from anyone else, that's that's a good time for me. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, Carol Hamilton, Filiana, Shashi Shramali, and Bill Benson. Um, I'm Chris Lockhart. Everyone have a have a happy holiday and stay safe in the new year. And we will we'll see you on we'll see you we'll see you in 2021. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody.